What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch. I'm your host. Today's guest on the show is Lori Christine King. You might know her as LCK from Instagram or Paragon Training Methods. Lori has a significant background in nutritional science and in being a fairly competitive gymnast and CrossFit athlete. Her experiences that she brings to the podcast today are going to be exceptional for anybody who's listening who has ever tried to come back from an injury and found themselves in the position of, "Ah, I'm not working out as much, so I don't want to eat so much because I don't want to get fat. On today's podcast, LCK and I go deep into why that might be the right mindset and it might be the wrong one and how to decide what you need to do when returning from injury. We also touch briefly on the idea of, do you need a nutrition coach or do you need a therapist? How do you know? How should you respond when somebody tells you? And what does it mean? So, If those are topics that interest you, you're going to really enjoy today's show. I think it's going to bring you a ton of value, a lot of really actionable stuff. LCK gets right to the point, so I'm going to let you get right to the interview. Here we go. Lori Christine King on the Active Life Podcast. All right. Lori Christine King. LCK or Lori Christine King? Uh, So what's funny is like, that's how I know if people follow me on social media or not. (laughs) So it's like if somebody slides into my DMs and either they want to collab or they want to invite me to do something, it's like, hey, Lori, come on. Like, you don't actually follow me. Like, you just clicked in because you saw I have a slightly big following and here you are. So like, it's it's (laughs) a good like litmus test on like, are you actually a fan of me? Because if you were, you'd know that I go by LCK, not my name. I follow you, though. And I'm in your story all the time. I guess I just don't pay enough attention. Yeah. All right, okay. so, so Lori, right? Lori. That'll, that'll <laughs> we'll confuse everybody. It's fine. Perfect. Okay, so I wanted to have you on because I think that you're smart. You're, you have a unique way of kind of bringing information to the forefront. You mean which, with inappropriate jokes? Inappropriate jokes are cool, too. <laughs> Lots of swearing. <laughs> swearing is cool, too. We do all of that stuff on this show. But the, the reason why I follow your account is because it's interesting. It's, it, it keeps my attention and it keeps me learning things at the same time. And I, I, I'm the kind of person who now at this point in my life, I know what I like to do for musing and I know what, how often I want to do that. And I, I just, I don't do it that often. So when I'm online ingesting content, I want it to be something that teaches me something. So can you give our listeners a little bit of background as to how you came to developing the kind of content that you create and putting it out and who you're trying to help. Yeah, totally. So I went to school for nutrition dietetics back in 2008. So I graduated in 2013 from Illinois State um, with a bachelor's of science in nutrition dietetics. And so um, fast forward present day, I really got into educational blogging because I realized I have the superpower of taking super sexy and complicated information. And like I could sit down you know, with your grandma and be like, hey, grandma, like let's talk about uh, intermittent fasting. Let's talk about reverse dieting. And so um, kind of content wise, I love just putting information out there and basically just breaking it down where it's like, hey, this is what something is. Here's the important things you need to know about it. Or here's, you know, the symptoms of under eating or, you know, here's uh, if you're struggling with PCOS, you know, here's the things to be looking out for. 
Um, I love them breaking it down. It's like, okay, you know, here's common solutions you might see for it, or here's, you know, the ways that you might address it. So if you're struggling with, you know, say hormone imbalances, here's some ways to naturally improve your hormones that you can do via diet, via lifestyle, stuff like that. And so really just love taking information and breaking it down for people so that they can basically be the CEO of their own life and, you know, kind of take charge of their health. Well, so, so I find that interesting because I know that you have an extensive background in nutrition. I also know that you own Paragon Performance, which is essentially aesthetically based performance training. So people can become more athletic. They can become better looking, more bangable, if you will, <laughs> on the program. And... I don't, if, if I'm not mistaken, nutrition isn't a huge part of that, right? I would actually argue the opposite because if you don't, like it goes hand in hand. If you, nobody can outdo a bad diet, right? So if you're out there just scamming, you know, pizza and alcohol and, you know, parting your face off, it's going to be really, really hard to find good aesthetics because the the gym programming piece like it just all has to go hand in hand and so certainly it's helping people find a good harmony of like well okay nobody wants to eat chicken broccoli rice you know every single day but it's like you have to find that blend of like you're not going to find good aesthetics if you're not eating well and training hard so like it, it really goes like you can't you can't have one without the other. Both of them have to line up. Well, first of all, I'm good with chicken broccoli rice <laughs> if it has garlic sauce on it from the Chinese restaurant down the block. Fair. Okay. Um, but I, th- I don't think that's the chicken broccoli rice you were talking about. But now, so, so is nutrition laced into everything you do at Paragon? So with Paragon training methods, um, we are simply providing, you know, it's a very low price tag. It's, you know, our maximum price for our programming is $35 a month. So like nutrition coaching wise, if I was taking on a client, like my coaching rates are $300 a month. So there's no way for me to give, you know, that one-on-one attention when we have hundreds and hundreds of members. And so we have a public forum, you know, we use Facebook as a community group. And so people are welcome to ask nutrition questions or welcome to ask for, um, hey, I, you know, I seem to be struggling with some sort of hormonal imbalance. What types of testing do I need to look for? Do we have um, you know, do you have any suggestions on a doctor that I can reach out to and work with and do testing with and stuff like that? Um, but I think that's very hard because n- everything with nutrition is very, you know, it has to be kind of custom to you. So doing any sort of like group nutrition stuff, like it's not, it's doing a disservice to people because it needs to be catered to you as an individual. Um, it's very hard to apply that. And so the same thing, it's like, that's why not a super huge fan of templated nutrition or like, you know, following, um, you know, just following group things because again, it's like, well, some people are always going to see results, but like as an individual, you come from a very unique background. You come from a, you know, a new, a unique training background and stuff like that. So it's like, it's really hard to just take nutrition advice and throw it at, you know, mass amounts of people. It's like, there's certain habits. Certainly it's like with nutrition, you know, I would love to see somebody eating, you know, 800 grams of fruits and vegetables every day. I would love to see them getting enough fiber, you know, drinking water. So like there's basics, but it's like so much of nutrition stuff is really going to be, you know, oriented to the person. So it's really hard to just apply, you know, kind of blanket nutrition to people. So with Paragon, certainly, you know, in the Facebook group, they're welcome to ask questions. You know, we post regular content or, you know, if I'm writing about reverse dieting, if I'm talking about, um, you know, different ways to eat and stuff like that. It's like that content gets cross posted into the group and they're welcome to ask questions. But with our training, like there's just no way to provide that coaching experience. So like if I'm checking in with like a one-on-one client, 
we're chatting on the phone for, you know, 30 minutes, 60 minutes. So it's definitely not happening, you know, just for base level members, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. And I, I, I frankly don't think that it should. I think that the way you guys do it is great. I think that being able to support people with those questions in the Facebook group, and I know that when people come to you specifically now with nutrition questions and they want coaching because you're full, you refer them to people who you know and like and trust. And I think that that's awesome. I think that's something that we talk to coaches about all the time. Knowing that you're doing the right thing is not about getting people to say yes. It's about being able to tell people, no, here's where you should go because I'm not the right person for yep. you right now. And it's totally like our goal is no matter what, I do believe that you should have a team, right? So it's like, you should have a therapist if, if we have things that mentally and emotionally we need to unpack. Like, really, like, you should have a therapist to work through those issues. Or if you're dealing with, you know, severe body dysmorphia and stuff like that, it's like you need to be working with a professional, not some, you know, Instagram coach that you met or, you know, like, they're can, not equipped to... Can we go to, deeper into that? Yeah, sure. So, so uh, you know, just for everyone who's listening, the main topic that I really want to discuss with Christine today is, or excuse me, with Lori. Lori, Christine is the middle name, <laughs> and it's LCK. I'm not going to call you Lori anymore. No, I know I'm in trouble. Um, <laughs> what, I, what we're really going to get to is how to eat when recovering from an injury, because that's something that we don't really consider much at Active Life. It's something that, when appropriate, we refer out for as well. And I think it's a hugely beneficial topic to talk about that no one is really talking about. So we're going to get to that. But I, I want to unpack for a moment. I had a conversation today earlier while we were walking to the boardwalk mm-hmm. to do our filming. Uh, one of my good personal friends reached out and she's like, hey, my mom needs help with nutrition. And I told her to drink water. She doesn't drink water. Like, she's so stressed. Like, she doesn't make time for herself. And I'm like, your mom needs a therapist. Then she can get a nutrition coach. And she was like, well, she'll never go. And I said, well, that's exactly why that's what she needs. Because if she can learn about, like, eat this much protein, eat this much carbohydrate, but she's not going to come to that belief that she should herself, so it's unlikely to last. How do you determine if somebody needs the therapist or if they need the nutrition coach? When let's say they could be 50, 60, 70 pounds overweight, really need nutrition coaching, but they're not gonna adhere to it until their mind decides they need it. So I believe one thing I've gotten really good at doing this past year with clients is getting clients to accept what is and where they need to go. So it's like, I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive. I don't believe that it has to be, oh, nutrition coaching is not right for you. You just need to go see a therapist or reversely, you need to see a therapist. You know, it's like, why not do both? Because with nutrition coaching, the biggest thing all nutrition coaches know is like, it's not about the macros. It's not about the nutrition. You know, it's about getting people to build habits or if they're not you know, able to implement those habits. So if you're not able to, you know, show up and go to the gym or, you know, if you're struggling, like, why aren't you showing up and doing the things? It's getting to the reason, you know, behind them and, and why. And maybe that comes back to, you know, you don't, you know, you're not surrounded by the right people. Um, you go to a gym of people that have different goals than you. Your friends have different goals than you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think the the biggest thing is just like it's not mutually exclusive, right? So it's like if we get into nutrition coaching and we realize like, man, like, yes, we need to talk about getting you to eat enough protein. We need to talk about getting you to get, you know, better quality food and going to sleep at night. But also, you know, it's like if you're looking in the mirror and you're tearing yourself apart and you're saying nasty things to yourself, it's like, I'm not necessarily the person to also help you fix that. Like, that's where it's like, hey, you know, like if you're 
you really have severe body dysmorphia, like you need to be working with a specialist for that. And so it's kind of, again, the idea of tag teaming and understanding just like, just looking at like, as a coach, like, do you have the skills and do you have the ability to improve that to some degree? Yes. But it's like, when that becomes not enough, that's when we start to, you know, need to expand the circle and bring in again, a specialist for that. Do you find that clients dislike hearing that from you? No, I think that ultimately you have to be in a place to hear a message. And so um, maybe it's a seed that you start planning from day one where it's like, hey, you know, I think as a coach, it comes back to really, really looking at your scope. Right. So it's like, what are the things as a nutrition coach I can 100 percent deliver to you? And then, you know, reversely, what other things can I not? Um, so, again, you know, say somebody has cancer. Well, like, are you in my scope? No. A, you know, you have a medical illness. Um, I can't help you cure your cancer, but I can help you drink water. I can help you, you know, do things that are going to be more conducive to your health, certainly. So it's like really, really looking at that scope of practice for sure. But um, the therapy thing is super interesting because I do fluidly believe it depends on kind of how old you are as well. So if we kind of look at people that tend to be 40, 50, 60 years old, there's kind of this belief system. And I don't know if it's just a generational thing or what, but it's like, you know, with my parents, it's like, my parents don't have any problems. Everything's fine. You know, like if you were like, like my dad, for example, has super bad anxiety and I don't think he's aware that he has anxiety, but it's like everybody in my family knows my dad has super bad anxiety. But if anybody was ever like, hey, man, um, maybe we should, you know, see somebody be like, oh, no, I'm fine. Whereas, like, for me, you know, I feel like kind of the generation gap of, like, 20 to 30-year-old, like, it's <laughs> it's trendy to have a therapist. It's trendy to, you know, talk about your things um, or, you know, your, your problems, your feelings, whatever. Um, so I think it really, the therapy stuff definitely depends on who you're talking to, but with several clients that have now, you know, we're still working together, but now they're working with the therapist to work through some issues. It's like every single person that started seeing a therapist or some sort of counselor is like, man, I just wish I would have done this sooner. Like that's been the feedback like 10 out of 10 from every single person is like, wow, like you told me to do this and I had to be in the place to, you know, to hear it and receive it. And so, you know, maybe it's, I planted that seed of, hey, have you ever considered, you know, hiring a counselor? And this was four months ago. And then, you know, fast forward, you'd go do it. Like that's a feedback after your first or second sessions. Man, I wish I would have done this sooner. Well, and I think that there's a lesson there for both the client of a coach and the coach of a client. And the lesson for the coach of a client is do the right thing. You know, like it's going to be uncomfortable for you to tell somebody, I think you need to see a therapist because what it can be misconstrued as is, I think you have some mental problems. I think you have a problem. There's something wrong with you. Like, absolutely. And and, and the reality is what you what you're really trying to say in that situation is, I think that there is more that needs to be done for you to get the outcomes that you want. One hundred percent. So like if I use a specific example, I had a client that she was going through some serious relationship stuff with her husband. Um, They had kind of fallen out of love. But like at the end of the day, he was going through a lot of mental struggles, tried to commit suicide twice. You know, they split, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was like from the coaching side, I was starting to get uncomfortable because for a couple of months, it was like I was the support system and I was one of the only people I was probably there for. But it's like, A, we were no longer doing nutrition coaching and B, you know, stepping into more of a supportive role, which absolutely I can do that. But it's like, 
hey, this needs to go be emotionally unpacked with somebody that has the skill set to do it. And that's a hard conversation to have, right? But it's like, that's the right conversation to have. And so I think as a coach, like, that's a marker of a good coach is not being afraid to have uncomfortable conversations and, you know, A, staying in your scope, but B, just being honest when it's like, hey, this is out of the realm of, you know, things that I'm equipped to help with. Yeah. And one of the things we tell our clients is, look, uncomfortable conversations lead to valuable resolutions. 100%. So the second part of that lesson is for the person who's hiring a coach, you need to recognize that if your coach is telling you something like, I think that you should probably see a therapist. It took some moxie on behalf of that coach, some balls from that coach to tell you that knowing that you might not respond in a favorable way. And so you need to realize that you're, you're probably working with the right person and you have to decide if you really want to make the changes because that person isn't going to help you unless you do what that person asks you to do. Well, and as a coach too, again, like that's your responsibility is just to direct people to who they need to go with. And so I would say like, it's a red flag if your coach is saying like, oh yeah, I can do that. Or, you know, it's like, it's the discussion we had off air where it's talking about like, yes, as a nutrition coach, I tend to specialize in women's health and hormones, but I'm not playing doctor with anybody. You know, it's like my agreement with any client I take on is, hey, yes, you and I are working together, but we have a functional doctor, we have an integrative doctor, you know, we have some sort of doctor that's also part of our little triangle and team because I can't, you know, I cannot fix your hormones, but your doctor can help. You know, and again, it's it's a weird line because with nutrition stuff, so much of it is like, hey, well, if you just eat really well, if you sleep at night, if you train, but don't train too much, yes, you know, that directly impacts all that, but it's no different than as you know if you were a nutrition coach and somebody says hey yeah so i have an eating disorder out of scope like you you just have to definitely check in regularly and say like am i the right fit for this client and vice versa and you know are the things they that they're asking me for something that i can deliver so i want to segue from there because i think that that was that was awesome and we could stay on that for a long time and then we would miss out on talking about what i really think a large section of our listeners are going to enjoy, which is, wait a minute, so when I come back from an injury, I have to eat differently? 100%. So take me through kind of the start of that. I mean, I got hurt, I rolled my ankle, I was out of the gym for two weeks, so I really need to eat differently? Or is it more for somebody who, I just had surgery, I just had stem cells, I'm, I've been out of my routine for eight, 12, 14, 16 weeks. Where do I start to decide that my nutrition needs to change? So I think I would actually dial it back just a hair. And so I think a big important talking point is that if we're somebody that, you know, say we go to the gym five to six times a week, we love working out, we love lifting, we love training hard, but maybe we're somebody that we're chronically, you know, it's like everybody has that token person in the gym that's like, oh, I've got this shoulder thing and now, now I've got this knee thing. And so just like kind of talking about that's a discussion point of like we're sliding into the land of overtraining. If we're chronically dealing with injuries, if we chronically have a nagging something popping up, that might be a big red flag of A, you know, just, just kind of starting to assess that situation where it's like, well, if you ate more food, would we maybe have a more resilient body? If we trained a little bit less, would we have a more uh, resilient body? Because at the end of the day, it's like 
we really shouldn't be getting injured all the time. Or, you know, I think another one you see is like the person that's sick all the time, 24-7. Like, I don't remember the last time I got sick. Like, it's literally been years. Because I tend to be somebody that, again, you know, I know that I'm eating adequately. I'm five foot three, 130 pounds. And, you know, for me, maintenance calories is right around 24, 2,500 calories training, you know, four days a week. If I'm training more, obviously that number goes up. Um, so I think just assessing and knowing signs and symptoms of like, are you eating enough food? And, um, are you potentially overtraining? And so those signs might be chronically feeling cold, um, chronically feeling hungry, reversely never feeling hungry. Um, maybe we're having disrupted sleep. So I think that it's very common to hear of people that wake up multiple times a night or like, oh yeah, I wake up, you know, once or twice in the middle of the night, you know, I go pee that's not normal. Like you should go to bed at night and then wake up in the morning. There shouldn't be, you know, any transactions in the middle of the night or, um, when you see a lot with competitive athletes is like, they will wake up hungry and that's like, Oh yeah, I I walk to the kitchen. Um, I scarf a banana or a protein bar or something. I go back to sleep. And it's like, you're not eating enough on a regular, like you shouldn't wake up in the middle of the night hungry. Um, other signs of just, again, either not eating enough food or maybe we're overtraining, we'd be looking at like inability to gain muscle, inability to hit new PRs over time, um, the inability to lose weight if we're trying to be in a caloric deficit, uh, nutrient deficiencies. Uh, if we're looking at actual labs, like maybe we have subclinical thyroid levels. Um, as a female, that might look like lack of, you know, a period or irregular menstrual cycles, having low energy, um, blood sugar crashes, low hormone levels, hair loss, infertility, um, not having a sex drive. If we're a guy, like, are we wake up, waking up in the morning with a morning wood? Um, yep. <laughs> I hope so. Um, but, you know, poor mood, mood swings, like all of those are signs and symptoms of, again, that idea of either not eating enough food on the regular or overtraining because it's it's one and the same. It's the it's the idea that we're under recovering from what we're doing. We're either not eating enough food to support what we enjoy doing, or reversely, we're spending too much time in the gym. We're um, working out, you know, five to six days a week, doing you know hours and hours of exercise. It's, it's all the same idea of under recovery. And so I think it's just knowing, you know, it's like. I'm, I'm sure that there will be numerous, li- you know, listeners that are like, oh, shit, like that. <laughs> you just described me in a nutshell. And so it's like being able to check in and be like, OK, like we need to look at how often we're working out. You know, do we need to change our training style to something less, you know, less high intensity exercise, maybe doing more bodybuilding and lifting, um, you know, maybe doing stuff that's, you know, going for long walks, doing yoga, um, which is hard because, again, like CrossFit wise, like people love high intensity, you know, people love Orange Theory, people love spin class because it's fun. You know, it's you know, you're it's a it's a competition. You're trying to beat the other person or you're trying to stay in a certain heart rate. And so it's like it's hard to accomplish that while also, you know, being cognizant of like, huh, maybe this high intensity exercise thing, you know, may or may not be for me. The interesting thing about the high intensity exercise stuff is I had this discussion recently, I think with Pat Barber on a phone call and it was just the idea that I don't have a problem with, oh no, it was with Jason Ackerman on his podcast, the best hour of their day. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with high intensity exercise. It's the concept that people believe that all exercise should be done at high intensity. 
that leads to the issue. Yep. And, and or I would say like it's the idea that you didn't get a good workout unless you leave yourself on the floor right. rolling around in pain. And like the reality is like, can you do that every once in a while? Absolutely. But it's like really for majority of people, like a good litmus test would be like when you go to the gym, when you leave, you should feel better. So like I had a session two or three days ago where it's like we went to the gym a little bit later than normal, like normal I'll go to the gym at four. And so it was like seven or eight o'clock and it was crazy because it's like we lifted. Um, but it was a sign of a good session because afterwards I was like, oh, man, I. I really want to go home and work like I got some stuff to do and I you know I was hyped about rather than like walking around you know being like oh we just lifted and now I have brain fog and now I'm a walking zombie you know it's like you should feel better when you leave the gym but it's like I I used to live next to a soul cycle and I'll tell you what like all the people walking out of that class a look like zombies but b you know like don't don't look like they're having a good time and so i think that's the hard part is like there's nothing wrong with high intensity exercise it's a great way to get fit can be a very efficient way to you know lose fat and stuff like that but it's like you have to check in with how your body is responding to it and being cognizant of how you feel agreed and and this is another thing i talked to jason about is the idea of what, what i'm starting to call ted like you have ted which is toxic exercise dependency you just are addicted to that to feeling like shit yeah yeah you you think the only way to feel good is to feel like shit first and it's not so somebody gets hurt let's just take for example the person who typically comes and works with us mm-hmm. they've been out of the gym now for four they've been in the gym for four weeks just modifying everything and then something happens and they have to stop training altogether and then they go to the doctor and the doctor tells them oh you need to rest this for ever Right, eternity. So, stop doing CrossFit. Okay, yeah, st- stop. Doc. Stop breathing. Stop, you know, sit on the couch. Wrap yourself in bubble wrap, and you'll be good. So they end up going to, you know, physical therapy, and they're out of the gym now for like twelve weeks. Mm-hmm. They come to us. They want to start training, and we start working with them on their mindset, uh, their competence, their confidence, and their movement patterns. How does the way that they eat now? need to be different than the way that they ate when they were at the gym 12, 14 weeks ago, living in their ignorant bliss that nothing <laughs> was wrong. Really, really great question, Sean. And it's going to be that shitty answer. If it's going to depend on the severity of what they're dealing with, right? So as an example, if somebody had surgery, so say like I just had shoulder surgery, I am now removed from the gym. You know, maybe I can sit on a bike. Um, I'm very limited in what I could do. So like for me, post-surgery, when I um, had surgery back uh, two years ago, it was like, what could I do? I could go for long walks and I could sit on a bike because my arm was in a sling. You know, I'm not squatting. I'm not even able to do any lower body stuff. So yes, calorically, things might have to go down a little, um, but it's it has to be walked very carefully because the biggest thing is in the case of surgery, your body is in a compromised state. And so you have to have calories coming in for your body to heal, right? Like your body cannot heal if it's running on zero resources. And so it's a very hard line because it's like, well, obviously we don't want somebody to get fat either while they're, you know, in a compromised position, but it's like making sure that the body is in a place to succeed. 
Um, reversely, you know, if somebody, if it is something like, oh, hey, I just rolled my ankle or with me, I just did, you know, stem cells in my shoulders a month ago. So I chose to go the opposite direction. I was like, well, if I can only do lower body um, for this next you know, month or two as these stem cells heal up, I chose to put myself in a caloric surplus to put my body in a position to succeed. And it's like, well, let's put some, like, let's literally put some mass on my ass. Like, let's let's do a lot of, you know, heavy squatting, heavy deadlifts, heavy hip thrusts. Um, so I personally put myself into a caloric surplus, which is the opposite of what most people might do because it's, again, I'm trying, it's very individual dependent on the situation. Um, but if somebody, you know, again, just rolled their ankle, it's gonna depend on how much stuff they're gonna do because ultimately we're always looking to match nutrition to how active somebody is. So what I want to do now is I want to take a quick commercial break. And when we get back from the break, I want to talk to you about specifically what you were just describing, which is I'm going to start using my lower body a lot more and my upper body a lot less. What does my training need to look like? What does my nutrition need to look like? I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Active Life Podcast. I'm going to keep this interruption really brief. If you're finding it difficult to enjoy living an active lifestyle because of aches and pains, you don't want to go back to the physical therapist, you don't want to talk to the chiropractor again, and you're tired of missing your workouts or the active things that make your life fun, we want to help. Head to ActiveLifeRx.com. We've helped thousands of people from all over the world to get out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym. You don't have to be an elite athlete to get access to what elite athletes take advantage of. We're ready to help you. ActiveLifeRx.com. Apply to be a one-on-one client. And if we're not a perfect fit for you, we will send you where you need to go. We still turn away over 30% of people who reach out because we're not sure we can help them. We're only going to work with you if we know we can get the job done. ActiveLifeRx.com. Back to the show. Okay, we're back. So you got shoulder stem cells. You got stem cell injections. Yes. And for people who don't know, essentially what a stem cell injection is, is they will drill into your pelvis. They can do it from um, artificial cells but yeah they're referred to as donor cells and it seems like this is still kind of new territory but all the research that i've kind of read like the best idea is to take it from yourself if you will so they drilled into my pelvis actually withdrew the stem cells and then basically they spin them out and then they insert them into the areas that you're having pain so a stem cell essentially can learn and what, what it can do is when it goes into that joint it can create new healthy tissue in that area so the only reason not to do it from your own body mass is because you don't want someone to drill into your pelvis it doesn't sound like fun but it's pretty uncomfortable i'm sure but at the same time i also don't really see the point in doing it if it's not going to work so you might as well go go big or go home right the the long way is always the shortcut so You talked about, I'm going to train my legs now. And I think this is really common. I think that people find themselves in a situation where my shoulders hurt, so I'm just going to train legs. And then what we see is, so I fucked up my legs too, (laughs) right? It's like, I couldn't train my arms, so I doubled my leg volume. And I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, they hurt. (laughs) You had a volume spike, dude. You 200% in a week. So 
Assuming the right amount of volume increase, because I imagine you didn't go from X to 2X in a week. Is that right? So basically what my training looked like prior to stem cells was um, training four days a week. I was doing two upper body days and then two lower body days. And uh, the programming that I follow is Paragon Training Methods. It's our own personal um, program that we put out. But it's basically more bodybuilding and lifting focused. Okay, so you're you're essentially on a split program with yep. with some combo stuff that includes the conditioning. Mm-hmm. So, did you just go straight to I'm just going to take the arms out, or did you add an extra leg day? Because you said you're going to put some mass on your ass. Yeah, <laughs> build in a juicy booty. Um, so kind of the explanation that my doctor gave me regarding stem cells was if you were making garlic bread and you you know you take the bread. You sprinkle cheese on top. It takes time for that cheese to melt down onto the bread, and thus, you know, you have garlic bread. What a great great description. Such a a great analogy. And so um, the advice of what to do post-procedure, it kind of varies depending on who you go to. And so his advice was like, yeah, like you could totally go back to the gym, you know, start doing upper body, start doing pull-ups. But you're not necessarily giving those stem cells time to get in, do you know, do their goodness, reduce inflammation and and just heal. And so he like his personal advice was like, I would really suggest that you shy away from upper body, you know, for a month or two and then start, you know, easing back into things. And so same thing, exactly like he said, it's like, well, so then does the answer go the extreme of like, well, I can't do upper body. I'll just do all the lower body. Um, I think the goal has just been dialing it in um and so i've basically been doing a lower body day rest day lower body day rest day um into you know into infinity and so here we are now um it's been a little over a month you know obviously i flew out to work with you guys and kind of see what we have going on and so the plan that we kind of talked about was like okay now we're going to start incorporating some upper body days from active life rx and you're working one-on-one with a coach in addition to still continuing to do the lower body. And so, again, knowing that um, I'm in a place where I can't train tons of upper body, what I chose to do, again, was put myself in a caloric surplus. So I was averaging about 2,500 calories um, previously, and so I've been eating anywhere kind of 2,700, 2,800. Um, so about 5 to 10% above um, my maintenance calories. And then just, again, you know, trying to kind of put some muscle on my lower body if I can't do much with the upper body. So when you say put some muscle on your lower body, you were already training it. Did you increase the volume? Mm-mm. So same programming. Um, just, I think it's like, again, giving your body a place to recover. And so could I probably increase my leg volume like crazy? Sure. But it's like, again, if you're under recovering, your body can't positively adapt either. So you increased your caloric intake so that it could handle the work you were putting on your lower body, knowing that it would essentially cause breakdown faster than you had been doing it previously. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. How do you decide how much of a caloric intake to undergo? Because you said, what, 5 to 10% is what you did? Yeah. So typically if somebody... um, because you don't want to like dirty bulk your way to, to being bigger. Like that's that's one way to so, do it. So but. dirty bulk, if I understand correctly, because I'm not in the nutrition space, but dirty bulk <laughs> is, is the idea of I'm going to get fat and then I'm going to get thin. I'm going to get fat. Yes. Is that, yeah, is that what you're So just about? like I, I would say like when when I think about dirty bulking, I would just think of somebody that's kind of eating really shit food quality. So just slamming tons of like pizza and ice cream because it's like, oh, well, I'm bulking or I'm massing. It's mm-hmm. like. I tend to be somebody that like I care about my aesthetics, so I'm not trying to put on sloppy weight. Um, and you're always going to gain 
fat alongside muscle. Like, and even if doing steroids or even if doing, you know, uh, super supplements or whatever you want to call it, it's like there is never a transaction where it's like you just gain muscle. Like you're always going to get fat alongside with that muscle. Um, really? so I didn't know that. Yeah. So say like, let's say theoretically that somebody gains 10 pounds during, um, some sort of massing or bulking phase, they're really probably only, if if they're really lucky and following you a good program and things work out well, maybe they only walk away with two to three pounds of muscle. And we're talking about in what now, like eight to 12 weeks? Yeah. Okay. Usually yeah. I think, I would say anything less than like, I wouldn't ever suggest somebody just like eating a surplus for four weeks. It's like, you can't, you can't build I, muscle I was, that fast, right? right? Well, it's like, you really want like a full training cycle. So it's like, I think that, you know, two to four months would be kind of like a better guideline for that. Like if you're, if you're going to bulk, like sit and eat the food, lift the weights, you do a lot of hypertrophy, you know, really, really push the weights in the gym and like get down and dirty with it. So I think you, I think you said an important thing because I've heard it, so many people be like, yeah, I just trained for like 12 weeks, put on like 15 pounds of muscle. I'm like, no, you didn't. No. Well, you and those did. are also people that like, they're not testing, you know, they're not doing a DEXA scan to see exactly, you know, what they gained from that. It's like, just because you, you know, you were 185 and now you weigh 200 pounds, like that wasn't all just muscle or, you know, I'm sure like people love using like in bodies or just. Um, different ways that they're not as, you know, like a DEXA scan is pretty damn accurate. <laughs> like, I think they say it's like 97, 99% accurate where it's like, hey, you know, you have this percent body fat, now it's this, you know, here's been your change. Um, so I think that there's a lot of people <laughs> that don't understand, like, it's really hard to gain muscle. And so it's the same thing that, you know, with women, they'll be like, oh, I, I don't want to get big. Like, you don't work hard enough to get big, first of all. Like, you, you know, gaining muscle is very, very hard. So again, it's like if you look at somebody maybe they do two different massing cycles in a year you know for them to walk away with five or six pounds of muscle like that would be a really great outcome you know um but i think that people get unrealistic expectations because you know social media or instagram or whatever um where people be like oh yeah i did this six week challenge and i gained you know 10 pounds of muscle and lost 20 pounds no you didn't like bullshit right <laughs> six all. weeks you didn't I, 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 my, my wife always like looks at me like i'm crazy because i'll be like that dude's fucking jack just a random guy walking by on the boardwalk and then i'll say that chick is hot like where i'm allowed to say those things to my wife which by the way i think everyone should be allowed to say to their wives and husbands but she's always like you're like almost as into dudes as you are into women <laughs> i'm like it's it's not that i'm into them well like you it's, appreciate hard work though yes it's like i don't care if you went on three cycles of winstrel you still had to work hard to look that way so i have respect for the work i know went into building the body that looks like that and training age is really hard because I think that, like, if we want to use CrossFit as an example, people join CrossFit and maybe they see somebody like Annie Thor's daughter and they're like, oh, if I just eat well and train hard, like, I'm going to look like her. And it's like, that's like years and years in the making. Like, again, I, I don't know off the top of my head how long Annie's been training, but she's probably been training now. Like, I remember even 2012, like, I was like, Lemon Crush Wednesday, you know, and she was, she was quite a few years in the game. So it's like getting people to understand that it's like, 
it might take you, you know, five to 10 years to look like you lift. Like, even if you are, you know, following really good programming, if you are, you know, nutrition style dance, like it takes time to put muscle on your body. And so, you know, it's like, it's, it's not a magic transaction. Like there's three parts to nutrition where it's like, you should be eating at maintenance more than anything else. So like for women, like maintenance calories might be, you know, well beyond 1800, 2000 calories. Like for me, again, I'm five, three, like I'm a little nugget, I'm even that tall. And I don't even train that much these days but it's like 24 to 2500 calories for me like if I eat less I start to lose weight so like my maintenance calories are you know probably more than a lot of dudes sadly but so it's like there should be three parts of where it's like you're eating in a caloric mate you know at maintenance for say you know three to four months and then you're like okay summer's coming I want to look good in a swimsuit cool so maybe you do you know you go to a caloric deficit you take down your calories and you know for four to twelve weeks you know you crank on aesthetics and then you go back to maintenance and you you let your body rebound from you know being on less calories you let your hormones you know, bounce back from that deficit and then same thing you're like okay like now I need to put some muscle on my frame. So then you go to mate, or you you go to a caloric surplus, and you you eat a little bit more food. And again, you you do that for two or three months, and then you go back to maintenance. And so it's kind of like this whittling, right? It's like you're making this really awesome sculpture that you know you can give, and then you take, and you give, and you take. But for a lot of people, it's like, how many people do you know where it's like all they've ever done all their life is just cut calories, cut calories, yeah, you, you, you know, live on zero calories. Been on and a diet like, since high school. Yeah. And so <laughs> my mom's been on a diet her whole life. Like, let's be real. She's 63 clocking into diet her whole life. But, you know, how many females will be like, man, you know, like, I really just want, a, you know, like I want a big butt or, you know cool like you have to eat to put that on your body like it's not gonna come you know, I gotta find a better butt from zero food like you have to lift you have to lift heavy eat food you have to build it and earn it so if someone is returning or they're, they're leaving the upper body out for a little bit and they're into their lower body and they're just gonna train squats deadlifts mm-hmm. step ups all the variations what should that let's just call it 10% caloric increase to buffer from injury be constituted of is it all protein is it protein and fat is it protein fat and carbs does the timing of it matter how how does all of that work this is the answer that you're gonna die because I'm gonna say it depends. But so for somebody no, my like my answer is always yeah. depends. But let's go into what, what what makes up the depends. Yeah. So like for me, for example, I live in downtown Austin. So on a usual day, I average fourteen to fifteen thousand steps because I don't drive anywhere. Everywhere I go. I walk. So I'm already super active outside of the gym in you know in addition to being you know active inside the gym. So it's like I would just say as like a loose guideline it's like you want to eat enough carbohydrates that you feel good and you're recovering well. And if we check both of those boxes it's like then whatever fat shakes out to. I would say protein wise, you know, assuming that we're a pretty lean individual you're looking at about one gram per pound of body weight so if you weigh 130 pounds you're a pretty lean female you aim for 130 grams of protein uh reversely again if we're kind of in a healing phase it's like maybe we go like 1.1 or 1.2 times body weight um so maybe that's more like you know i just had shoulder surgery i'm a 130 pound female maybe we're eating 140 150 grams of protein because again like our body's already trying to break shit down so we're just trying to get at the building blocks um, to, you know, to encourage it to succeed. But as far as carbs and fats, like carbs is just going to be dependent for you on how active you are or not.
not. And in my case, like it's yes, we took arms out of the equation, but I'm still hella active, even though, you know, I'm rehabbing from an injury, if you will. So I'm able to eat, you know, tons of carbohydrates. You know, I'm feeling good inside the gym, outside the gym. Um, and, you know, kind of just letting fats shake out where they may. But reversely, you know, if you're somebody where it's like, well, I rolled an ankle. I've also got this shoulder thing going on. So I can't do a whole lot of upper body or lower body. Well, you're going to be somebody that's like you probably want to lever a little bit, you know, higher fat and a little bit lower carb. Because, again, like you just you're not able to create that output. You're not burning tons of calories because you're not active, you know, inside and outside the gym. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Um just for people who, who have no concept of it, no shame in that, one gram of protein, four calories. Mm-hmm. One gram of uh, carbohydrate, four calories. One gram of fat, nine calories. Lori, uh, Lori threw the fingers up for me. Just, <laughs> just, to, over here. just to make sure I didn't screw it up. She saw the wheels turning. She's like, don't fuck <laughs> it up, don't fuck it up, don't fuck it up. Um, so one of the things that we always tell clients when they're experiencing like an inflammatory bout is to cut back on inflammatory foods. So ice cream, you know, breads, pasta, things like that can actually make somebody worse. So the reason for that being that they're, they're baseline inflammatory to begin with, and if you're already dealing with a local, acutely inflamed state, then adding baseline inflammation can only make things worse. Well, it's it's like adding gasoline to the fire, right? So it's like, I'm not usually a huge fan of um, blanket statements, but I would say in general, you know, if we have somebody that they're trying to bounce back from an injury um, that, you know, that maybe it happened yesterday, it's like, well, let's try minimizing dairy. Let's try minimizing like gluten, sugar. Again, like just getting away from processed foods um, temporarily to just like minimize that inflammatory response we have going on. Um, I think another thing worth kind of dialing back to is like just looking at how how immediate was this injury or surgery or whatever. So it's like if you're that person that you know maybe again you rolled your ankle during a CrossFit workout you know, like everyone's immediate reaction is like, oh, can't work out. So I'm just going to you know, slash my calories. It's like, well, no, like maybe your body just needs a day or two to like get shit together. So it's like if you immediately take away calories, you immediately take away recovery via, you know, via the calories. Well, now your body like can't bounce back. And so if you make it worse. Right. So it's like I think just like good general advice is like if you have an injury pop up, don't make any changes for, you know, say 10 to 12 days or, you know, t- give it two weeks to just like sort through like, okay, is this serious? You know, obviously immediately see a chiropractor, you know, start seeing professionals. Like if you think something's broken, like go get that checked out by a professional you know, immediately. But as far as actual diet, like the second then injury happens or, you know, you think something's going on don't touch your nutrition like don't make any changes yet like hold tight because again it's like well what if in two weeks like your body just bounces back and it's like yeah you had a bad fall you rolled an ankle and it you know it just fixes itself it's like don't you know like hold tight for you know 10 to 12 days you know two weeks whatever and then if it's like okay for sure like something's going then that's when you might adjust calories and consider you know taking them down or again you know starting to remove stuff from your diet or whatever it is um but i think that's a really important talking point because like i said like that's a common thing where i'd be like oh threw my shoulder out well i'm just gonna cut my calories and it's like well no like your your body needs those calories right so like let's say i was in a house and 
you know, the house decided to burn down, I was saying third degree burns, like my caloric need actually goes up because it's so hard for the body to heal. Like you need those calories for your body to heal from that burn, right? Like it's not too similar from an injury or from that standpoint where it's like, well, your caloric need might go up. Like I remember the, it was probably- There was a morbid way to get to caloric need. <laughs> if, my well, house, if my house burns down and you know. My house burns down and catch on fire. But like I remember, cause it's like, I actually tracked my macros post-surgery and I remember, um, cause it's like my food quality is usually pretty high. Like I personally eat gluten and dairy free because I have an autoimmune condition anyway. Um, but I remember that the day immediately after surgery, I have never craved carbs like that in my life. And I actually had an aversion to fat. Um, and it like, it was so foreign to me, but it was like, I remember, um, opening the fridge and you know, I had like avocados. I was normally somebody who put like a lot of olive oil on my meals and stuff like that. And it was like, and that sounds so silly but like the idea of eating fats like literally made me want to like throw up a little but it's like I remember laying on the couch and uh, my mom flew out when I had shoulder surgery and kind of was helping take care of stuff and it was like mom I'm hungry like I literally I need carbs and maybe that's what it's like to be pregnant like you have like those weird cravings like it was like that where it's just like holy shit man and so I think it was like I was in like 500 or 550 grams of carbohydrates the day after surgery. Um, But it was like, I've never, I've never experienced that before. And I'm, you know, it wasn't even like I filled it with low quality stuff. It wasn't like, oh, I had surgery. I'm just going to use this excuse to eat tacos and bullshit. It was like, I just really craved carbohydrates a couple, you know, first couple days and it did level out. Um, But I thought that was very interesting because I'd never experienced something like that before. Wait, tacos are bad? Tacos are great. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I was, I'm, I'm, I'm from Texas. Tacos are amazing. We, we have a but. great Taco Tuesday spot. I, was, I mean, I was going to go tonight. Now I'm like, oh, do I go to Taco Tuesday or not? Okay. So I want to I wanna turn turn the, the conversation to more of what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Because I think that this is great. I think the people who are dealing with injury have a base now to understand that like you got hurt you're going to the gym less but that doesn't mean your body needs less calories Mm -hmm. so be mindful of that well and i think the bigger talking point there is like what's your goal because somebody that's cutting calories is coming from an aesthetics focused concern there rather than hey i'm helping my body to succeed right so like if we're worrying about health that requires adequate calories. So again, it's like, do you want to get fat post-surgery? Like, no, nobody nobody wants to get fat just because they have a bum ankle. Um, but again, like just that idea of like, well, understanding that, yeah, okay, like we might gain a little extra body fat as our body's healing, but once we get back to the gym, you know, the body, you know, once we get back to routine, once we're able to train just how we normally want to train, that that's all going to kind of resolve and like be taken care of. And so it's, it's not too similar. I think if somebody, you know, goes through pregnancy, it's like, well, the immediate concern shouldn't necessarily be, oh, okay, I just had a baby. Now I'm going to cut my calories. It's like, well, no, like just cause you had the baby doesn't mean your body's magically healed. Like your body needs calories to, you know, to, to bounce back and, you know, to resume normal from all that. And so same thing with the surgery. It's just like being very cognizant of like, okay, like we, we do want adequate calories. And so how do we you know do that while minimizing, you know, putting on body fat? It, it's definitely a tough line to, you know, to straddle, but it's a thing for sure. Yeah. I think it's kind of separating your immediate want from your long-term want. You know, it's the idea that I've, I've seen firsthand my wife, we did a podcast about it. You were talking to her last night. It's the, she's now seven, almost eight months postpartum and 
thankfully, mentally, she's out of that whole fog that she was in. She was in a serious fog. We talked about it on the podcast. But there's that immediate like, okay, the baby's not in anymore. I don't love the way my body looks. I want to get back to the way it used to look. So I want my body less. back, which like, A, your body never left, just right. FYI. But that, that prolongs the ability to actually get it back, cutting that deficit and keeping it that way. And it, it exposes you to injury risks and all kinds of other health dysfunction, hormonal disbalance, all that kind of stuff long term. But it's, it's the wrapping your mind around, okay, it's kind of like when we tell people to sign up. Think about this as a year. You know, you're, you're signing up because you're going to be doing this for a year. Don't worry if in the first two months you don't have exactly the results that you want. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I want to hear more about Paragon. I want to hear you tell me who is it for, who is it not for, because I think that um, in spending some time with you yesterday and today and talking to you online on the phone before you came out, you're the kind of person who I obviously would trust to send people who I like totally. to go work out with you. And people are listening to this show, I want them to end up working with the best around. So who should be working with you guys? So Paragon Training Methods is basically our methodology that we put together. And so with my history, um, as a former regional athlete, um, I competed on a team in 2016. This is CrossFit. It, with CrossFit, um, tore my shoulder. And so the interesting thing with CrossFit, if I really dialed it back, like my interest in CrossFit, like yes, it was fun, yes, it's fun to compete, but what I thought I was actually gonna get out of CrossFit was better aesthetics and just a bang and body comp. And that's why you got into it. Yeah. So that's why I got into right. CrossFit is like I saw people on TV and I thought, oh, if I just do this thing, I'm going to look like them, too. And the reality is that being me at 5'3 to be competitive meant I actually had to be really, really heavy for my size. And so um, when I compete at regionals, I was more like 137, 138. Right now I walk around like sub 130. I, I don't weigh myself because I don't care. But I could tell you if I stopped on a scale, I'd probably be like 125, 130 pounds. Um, but to be competitive as someone so tiny, to be able to lift those same weights as people, you know, much taller than I, much bigger than I, I had to walk around heavier. And so it's like my most athletic body and my most competitive body was not it, it did not deliver me the body composition I was looking for. Like I wanted a six pack. I wanted to be shredded. Um, and that didn't, that didn't exist, you know, for me at my, my highest performance level. But I think that a lot of people, you know, they see these games athletes or they see these 1% genetic outliers that they have both. Like they have, you know, they're the strongest lifter in the room and they have the abs and they have the aesthetics. Um, I think that there's miscommunication because again, most people think, Oh, if I just eat really well and, do this CrossFit thing, like, I'll look like them too. And it's like, no, like, unfortunately, like, they're genetic outliers. And obviously, again, you know, they're training also, if you're training, you know, upwards of three, four, whatever hours a day, hitting multiple sessions or whatever it is, you know, there, there's a big difference. Um, but long story short, when I stopped competing, I was severely overtrained. I was training too much. Um, I wasn't eating enough food for how much I was training. So it was like, I was dealing with a lot of hormonal imbalances. I was struggling. I've, I've been hypothyroid my whole life. So I've always had um, an autoimmune condition associated with that, which is Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Um, so constantly struggling with that. And then, you know, add to the <laughs> add to the burning pot. It was like, you know, I had shoulder surgery. So here I was and it was like, man, I don't want to spend hours in the 
gym anymore. I've got, the, you know, I want to say, like, I grew up that was like, I realized there's more to life than just training my face off. I didn't want to feel like shit anymore. Um, and so it was like we, I started working with Brian Borstein um, of San Diego Athletics. And so it started off as one-on-one coaching where it was just like, hey, Brian, like, I want to spend as little time in the gym as possible and look the best that I possibly can. And so it was kind of where Paragon was born from, was just like, hey, this is aesthetics-focused programming that you can do to look good and feel great. And so we realized that you know, with this programming, there's a lot of people that check that box. There's a lot of people that just you know they don't want to spend hours in the gym or they don't they don't have the time you know whether it's want whether it's need it's like there's a lot of people that ultimately just want to look really fucking good and feel really good and so we realized that the programming that we were developing for me was something that was a a big need in the market you see a lot of people you know after a couple of years of just high intensity exercise your body is you know beaten down <laughs> you're burnt out you know and whether that's crossfit whether that's orange theory whether it's spin class whatever it is again none of those modalities are bad but if you constantly are just pushing your your face into the floor for years on end just putting you know your your floor pedal to the ground it's like at some point that catches up and so um paragon training methods you know it's like we basically program um, again, kind of like we recapped, we program four to five days a week where it's like two upper body days, um, two lower body days, and then Saturdays, like we still even encourage people like, hey, go out and you know, stand up paddleboard or jump in a class workout, you know, get back in the community. Or um, We also you know, program an Oli sesh if that's something you know, people really love or miss Olympic lifting, you know, they can hit that on Saturdays. So trying to just make a program that's flexible, but ultimately the goal is just like, holy shit, like we've realized for a lot of people, it's like, you don't have to kill yourself to look good and to feel good. And I think that, you know, there's this mentality of like, oh, well, if I want a better six pack, I just have to do more. I have to do more training. I have to do more of this. And it's like, no, like there's also some secret sauce and like, yeah, I go to the gym and train hard and lift hard, but you can do less and have a better body composition. And so especially coming from your know, shoulder surgery, that was the biggest lesson for me is like, fuck, man, I wish somebody would just stop me sooner and said, what if you could train four days a week rather than five or six or seven days a week and you'll look better i wouldn't have believed you and then yet here now that i've been following brian's programming for 22 months i can confirm i I now train way less and it's like i've even run into people that you know i used to train with and be like can tell y'all are still doing that high intensity exercise thing and you're smashing yourself to the floor because you guys look a little beat up Mm. um so i don't know like our programming's been super crazy though because it's like that's what we're teaching people is like how to find freedom via food and exercise because same thing you know it's like nutritionally when you're not just killing yourself in the gym you can be more lax on nutrition. <laughs> you can you can find that balance of like, hey, you know, you train four days a week. You have a date night or two, you know, with your spouse. You can still maybe, you know, go out and enjoy a beverage or two. You know, it's like getting people to just get quality of life and, you know, look good and feel good. Like, that's what we're very effective at, you know, teaching people. It's fucking awesome. And so if people want to enroll, where can they find you? So the website is Paragon Training Methods. Um, on our Instagram for Paragon Training Methods as well, it's actually run in a format very similar to my own personal Instagram. So we, you know, we make sure because a lot of these movements, especially if you're coming from you know CrossFit or Orange City or whatever, it's like 
I didn't know what a lateral raise was going. Which is even, mind blowing. Yeah, which is mind blowing, right? But it's like I never touched a weight until I was, I don't know, twenty two or twenty three years old. Um, but like you don't see tons of bicep curls, you don't see tons of you know lateral raises or um, reverse flies or anything like that. And so um, same thing. Like when I first started training with Brian, it'd be like oh here let me go to YouTube and I gotta I gotta search what that is and I double check myself um, and so same thing though so we try to cut that learning curve so the Paragon Training Methods Instagram will take a movement you know we'll take a little video of it so you know what it should look like and then we'll talk about some talking points of like okay you know here's what you should think about activating or make sure you know shoulder blades down and back or you know, so just kind of giving movement cues and tips to help make sure that people are maximizing the programming and performing movements correctly I love it. And where can people find your personal page? Lori Christine King on Instagram. I will soon also be launching a podcast and YouTube channel, so stay tuned for that. Um, but my website is lauriechristineking.com as well, so pretty easy if you can just remember my name. Well, I mean, I thought your name was LCK. Now we're just confusing people. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure all that stuff is in the show notes. Lori, thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks, Sean. You're welcome. What's up, everybody? It's Dr. Sean again, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I got a favor to ask you. Head to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure to leave us a five-star rating. Also, while you're there, drop a little review. Tell people what you liked about the show, and of course, share it with the three friends who you think would find the most benefit from this episode. Till next time, Turn pro.